and team are to follow that song, beautiful song. We're going to be looking at the lives of the Thessalonians today, people who put all of their ambitions, hopes, and plans in the Lord Jesus and served Him. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Lord, we come before You, and we just pray, Lord, that You would send Your Holy Spirit to do a mighty work in our lives, that You would send Your Holy Spirit to lift up my voice to be able to preach this morning, and that You would open the eyes of our listeners, my brothers and sisters in Christ here, their ears, Lord. Do a mighty work in us, Lord. We love You. We thank You for this opportunity to come before You. And open up the word in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Got to ramp it up a little bit here. That was, thank you, Bruce. Really appreciated that. And uh, I was going to buy us a little time. Wade, we're all good back there. Doug, we're going good on sound. Why I say that is, guys, you don't know this, but it wasn't recorded last week. So I'm just going to do last week all over again. You guys remember it so well, don't you? Um, no, I'm not going to. But um, I am going to remind you of what we talked to. I, I told you, I felt like some of you that my old childhood growing up in, in my dad's church, I felt like every Sunday was a review. It was like somehow we made it through all of the, all of the sermon, but we are always in review, always going back and looking, for, looking over what we did. And so this morning I wanted to just kind of review with you, and um, you know, it's interesting preaching a little bit more and kind of learning from your mistakes from the last week, okay, how could I more clearly um, articulate this or that, or, but for me, it's just real simple, it's like, all right, have some bullet points here, you know, Jim used to like to write, I guess, all of his sermons all the way out, and for me, I want to give some bullet points, and what are some of the bullet points uh, that we're going to be going over? Um, last week, we reviewed that Paul's situation was a precarious one. Paul's situation, precarious one. Paul's situation and the Thessalonians, we learned a little about, the, about their lives as we reviewed. We also learned that we are all imitators. and I mean, that uh, we are all imitators. And we we're going to be imitating something. We wanted to look at the lives of the Thessalonians and that they were a model church. Uh, we saw that in Thessalonians 1, and you beca- at 1, 6 through 7, you became imitators of us. And of the Lord, for you receive the word in much affliction, with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. And what was that example? We're going to be getting into that a little bit more, specifically into the lives of the Thessalonians. Some of those characteristics that Paul brings out. We went through in detail the circumstances and events leading up to Paul writing this letter. And so what I wanted to do this morning is basically three things is remind you of, of that, of what Paul, the circumstances around Paul's life, the Apostle Paul, the great Apostle Paul, the circumstances and events leading up to him writing the letter to the church in Thessalonica. So the events and circumstances leading up, review that. And then what were the events and circumstances and some of the history around the Thessalonians? 
around Thessalonica at that time. So we want to kind of get a little background there on their lives. And then we're going to go through it. We're going to actually finally get out of Acts and get into some of the text as we look at some of the characteristics of the Thessalonians. Sound like a plan? Right. Well, last week, as you remember, like you said, we were looking at the events and the circumstances around Paul's life in leading up to him writing the letter to the Thessalonians. And so I'm not going to make us go through, I realize that it might have been confusing, kind of walking through in a little bit too much detail maybe, going through Acts, from Acts 14 to 18. But I want to quickly remind you of what a great story this is, a great reality of what is going on with Paul in the events leading up to him writing the church. We remember in 14, and again, I'm not going to get hung up too much if I mess up a city or a date or, you know, hold me to a fire there. But Paul was preaching the gospel in Iconium and Derbe in Acts 14 at the tail end of his second missionary journey. And he's out there preaching the gospel and great things are happening, right? But great things are, people are getting saved. The Lord is doing a great work. The Spirit is going out. He is establishing the church. And usually what happens quickly after that is he is followed by great, intense persecution. And we see this right off the bat. Paul goes in. He's preaching the gospel. They drive him out. Then he heals a crippled man. And there's chaos ensues. And then they come and they drag Paul out violently and they stone him nearly to death. And we looked at that miraculous situation. Paul rises up and goes right back in preaching the gospel. And quickly he goes through. We go through and he goes down and goes to the brothers of the Council of Jerusalem, and there's a disagreement he has as they're working out what to do with the Gentiles and this, this new group of people who are getting saved. And there's a disagreement with Paul and Barnabas. And there's the, we talked about the emotional realities of it, not to get too overwrought with it, but that must have been difficult. We talked about the life of Paul and that he is human after all. Yes, he is a great apostle, but that must have been a difficult situation. We talked about the end of Timothy, how... He expressed some of that loneliness and, and feeling deserted and so on. And so I think it's important to keep these in mind. So track with me here what was going on in Paul's life, emotionally and physically. What was the Lord doing in his life? And then he goes quickly, and we talked about the Macedonian vision that he has. He takes Silas with him at the beginning of his second missionary journey. He starts off, and he goes, and he has this great vision, and he goes down to Macedonia. And he starts preaching the gospel. They come on through. They stop at Philippi, right? And we see that. We remember he goes down to the riverside. He preaches to these group of ladies and some, some people there. And Lydia is saved. He continues on. And guess what happens? Paul gets beaten yet again. Paul and Silas. Beaten with rods. And so this is, this is severe, intense persecution. This is not... I, you know, not to diminish other things, but this is a, is a severe situation. Beaten, stoned. These men, these Jews that were coming down, um, in this case, they were following them over, and they were, uh, they were, uh, they were the, in Philippi, they were the, um, the, the city leaders. They were dragging them out, this mob of people, and they were beating him. And then this is, so this is intense persecution. 
I think it is important to understand, to remember that when we get into Thessalonians, of the situation that was at hand. And so he goes, and we, you guys remember the great uh, story of, um, of the Philippian jailer, and they're in prison, and Silas and Paul are rejoicing and praying, and, and the Philippian jailer gets saved. Uh, um, just a sweet story, compassionate story of this saved, this jailer, hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ and getting saved. And so they go on. And quickly, and now even quicker, we go on. He comes into the, to Thessalonica for the first time. Thessalonica is introduced in 17. So put your finger on Acts 17. We'll come back to that in a minute. But he is run out of there again. Yet again, Paul is run out of Thessalonica. He, gets, he has to leave in the middle of the night. And then he comes to Athens and then through Athens to Corinth. And it is here at Corinth. We reviewed last week, it is here at Corinth that Paul, we find Paul, Timothy and Silas find Paul, that Paul is wholly caught up in teaching the Scriptures, it says. He is teaching the Scriptures to the Jews. And what was this Scripture? Teaching the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah to come. Preaching the whole Gospel. And I was talking to, I think Haley afterwards, talking about the emotional, I mean, the, 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 um, the, um, commentary or the another way of reading that passage of holy caught up would be uh, is that it says his mind was pressed his mind was holy caught up it was almost to a point of pain to be preaching to these jews and so he was there pleading and begging and they would have nothing to do with it and they reject his gospel they reject the message and paul says your blood is on your head I'm done with you. He shakes off his garments. And it is at this point that we see that it was this point. And I'd love for you guys to do, this is from what I thought, I'd love for you guys to do some research. Tell me if I'm wrong here, but from what I could tell, that this is the first epistle. If you do the timelines, and I, can, and I, can, I haven't been able to find a commentary or someone that I haven't overly spent too much time on it, but enough that this is the first epistle that the Paul has ever written. That it is in this moment of great distress and despair that uh, affliction, despair and affliction, Paul says, that Paul, that Timothy and Silas find him there at the synagogue and they give him an encouraging word. They give him this note from, report from Thessalonica. And it is in this encouragement somewhere about that time that Paul decides to write the Thessalonians this great letter. And I want to just pause there because I think that it's important for us to remember the realities of this situation. And here is a man who is in trouble. He is, I mean, he is troubled. He is, he is working for the gospel. His faith is working out. He is, he is laboring and toiling. He is emotionally distressed. You name it, he is under it. And he hears an encouraging word from his brothers and sisters back at Thessalonica where he only spent a little time. And they lift him up and they... And they encourage him and they say, what do they say? Let's go back to that. Well, we know what they say from Thessalonians 3.6. Paul says, but now Timothy has come to us and has brought us the good news of your faith and love. He has reported to us about how you always remember us kindly, how you long to see us. 
has just as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress, in all our affliction, Paul says, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. I was proud of myself for not weeping because earlier in the week, that is such an emotional reality of what is going on in this man's life. Through all our distress and affliction, it was worth it if you are standing firm in your faith, he says to them. It was all worth it. Isn't that an amazing, incredible reality? He hears from them some good news that they're walking, standing firm in their faith. That they're living out their word. They're living out what Paul was just preached to them. They're doing the things that he just preached to them. That the work of the gospel, not because of anything that we bring to the table because he gave it, but because he gave everything, we want to give everything. Even though we have to, we bring nothing to the table. Didn't we just sing that in the, earlier in the song? We bring nothing to the table. And here, Paul is so thankful for them. And Paul is so encouraged from them from some kind words. And I guess I just want to say some kind words. No, not necessarily, but maybe a reminder. Adam, hey, maybe some more kind words to some folks. Specifically your brothers in Christ and sisters in Christ right here together. Encourage one another. Mutually. I love you. What's going on in your life? Are you, are you serving the Lord? Are you in His Word? So on and so forth. Are we doing that? Not a rebuke, but an encouragement. Let's do it more and more. And we are. This is such an encouraging week. Seeing what the Lord is doing in our midst. In the, in the face of finding a pastor. So many of you are just saying, hey, whatever you guys need, we're here for you. I'm getting ahead of myself or maybe a little bit of off script. But just a gentle, friendly, loving reminder of the realities of Paul's life that the encourage of the encouragement he got from them. So I'm going to stick a little closer to my notes, though. But that is the review of the circumstances and events leading up to Paul writing the letter to the Thessalonians. That's the reality of what was going on. What was the situation to the events and circumstances leading up to the church in Thessalonica? What was going on with them? And again, I think this is helpful to do. I know it might be, again, a little bit laborious or put you to sleep, but maybe some of you it's helpful. It was me. It really made the Scriptures come to life. The Thessalonians, I think, is used as a model for um, in inductive Bible, uh, Bible teaching how you go through it and you learn about the history and, and so on and so forth, and you kind of dig in a little bit deeper. And why I love going to churches where pastors preach expositionally, because they've got to bring the whole counsel of God's Word. They've got to bring it all to you. They should be, just, they should be really um, unpacking it for you, making it come to life, leaving out nothing. And that has to do with the history and what is going on. What is, and so you expound the Word of God. To people, so you understand it. Expositional preaching, expounding. And so when you look at the lives of the Thessalonians, what was going on? And before we get that, I, I, I want to um, sort of a little disclaimer. I'm not a historian, and whenever I try to be, it's embarrassing. 
But I did do some research, and it was helpful. There's a great book on um, the life of the epistle, uh, the, the life of the epistles of St. Paul. And uh, in it is just a great help. It's a he- it's, it's deep reading, and again, it's way too over my head. But if you guys want to go back and read some more and dig in some more, but he describes Thessalonica, you know, and he describes in, in in that book he describes Thessalonica, and he gives a real vivid imagery of what it must have been like for Paul to leave Thessalonica and go into Berea. But to give you just a little history, because I have heard some pastors preach on this. And it was helpful to get, okay, what's the authority on this? And even though it's an older book, J.A. Alexander writes about Thessalonica. This is, so again, older, I mean like 1857 old book. So, but he writes this. J.A. Alexander writes about Thessalonica when, when Paulus Aemilius, the Roman conqueror at the time, conquered Macedonia, when all Greece afterwards was divided into two great provinces, Macedonia and Achaia, Thessalonica was the capital of the former. It was an ancient city named called Thermae, but Cassander, who rebuilt it and fortified it, named it in honor of his wife, the sister of Alexander the Great, who herself had been so named uh, by her father in the um, commemoration of a great Sicilian victory. So, Real history, real people, this is Thessalonica. He goes on, and J.A. Alex, J. Alexander says, The fine situation of the town at the head of the Thermaic Gulf on, on the Great Ignatian Road, you guys know, Via Ignatia, the Ignatian Road from Italy to Asia, it gave early importance, both commercial and political, which ever since it has retained being still one of the most flourishing cities of the Turkish Empire. That's how old it is. No longer under the Turkish Empire. But it's under the abbreviated name uh, Salonika or Saloniki. And so now, and we know now, Thessalonica still is a Thessaloniki. It's called now, it's still a thriving, flourishing town, uh, city. And it was conquered by the Ottomans. Balkan War, you know, again, see, I'm getting in trouble, but back in 19, but now it's part of Greece. And so the point is, it's a thriving city, but more to the point of what was this place like that Paul was going into? It was a real place in time, a real place in history, with real people, the Thessalonians, real Christians suffering real persecution. So this is really happening. You remember that Paul was going on and he was establishing his church. Real people, Christians, just like you and I. And Paul, as we read in, Thessalon- in um, Acts 17, was coming onto the spot, and, and he comes into Thessalonica, this great city, this important, industrious, cultural city, much like, well, yeah, much, I don't know, but, you know if I could compare it to Tallahassee, but Tallahassee, the capital of Florida, how many people do we have? We are in a great city, Tallahassee. Paul recognized what this was in Thessalonica, and he comes in, and it says he comes in in 17, and we'll read it in a second, but he comes into the synagogue, or a synagogue, not a synagogue, the synagogue, meaning it was the only one probably that he had come on. We Earlier, you remember in Philippi, there was no um, synagogue, so he goes down by the riverside. So here, there was probably a great number of Jews, there was a, probably a great congregation when Paul comes in preaching, a great number of people. So Paul comes into this synagogue, and this is where we find him in Acts 17. 
Let's see here. Kind of on target here. Staying pretty close to my notes. So you read in Acts 17, 1 through 9. You don't have to turn in your Bible, but feel free. Acts 17, 1 through 9. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom... And on three Sabbath days, Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great number of Greeks, devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous. And taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out of the crowd. And when they could not find him, they dragged Jason out and some of the brothers before the city. These men have turned the world upside down and have come here also. And Jason has received them. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another King Jesus. And the people in the city and the authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken the money and security from them, uh, from Jason and the rest, they let them go. So these are the same mob that was chasing Paul down. And it's important to remember that these Jews, these ones that are kind of the, that are working them all up, are the same Jews that killed Jesus. Not the same exact Jews, but the same type of persecution. The same type of fervor. A hatred towards the gospel. Not some sort of like, you know, just wanting to like you keep them quiet or something. No, we saw already they were out for blood. These wicked men were coming, and so this is the intense persecution that the that the Thessalonians were in and under when they received this great uh, letter from Paul, this sweet, endearing letter from Paul, this tender letter, the first letter to the Thessalonians, the first epistle. And imagine, just as Paul was encouraged by the Thessalonians, how that good report that he got from them, imagine what it would have been like for the Thessalonians for a second to receive this letter. Is it far-fetched to say what it would have been like? I don't think so. Was it parchment paper? Did Did they do this? Anybody know? probably parchment paper dusty from a long journey and, and the leaders in the, in the church are like we got a letter from the great apostle Paul what that must have been like to get it and they would have gathered around and Paul instructs them to bring it to the church and read it he commands them to read it to them must have been so encouraging for them to hear these encouraging words and so it is with this kind of this background and understanding of the life and events leading up to Paul writing this letter and the Thessalonians receiving this letter that we come finally to the text in Thessalonians 1, 1 through 10. Paul, Silvanus and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We give thanks to God always for you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you. 
Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. when you became imitators of us and the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. So that we not need to say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you. And how you turned from gods, from li- to God from idols to serve the true and living God and to wait for His Son from heaven from whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So quickly, going through salutation, we're going to spend too much time here, but the salutation, I was proud of myself for noticing this and getting it confirmed. This is a tight, short Salutations. One of the shortest salutations, you know from Colossians and Romans, how Paul would introduce himself. And sometimes he needed to give a little bit of an oomph to it to let them understand what he's writing about or who he is and his authority. There is no need here. You'll notice that in it he's just like Paul, Timothy, and Silas. Um, to the church in Thessalonica and God the Father, grace and peace to you. It's just sort of like, you know who I am. And they did. It's our brother Paul writing us. And so there's this familiarity to it right off the bat. I thought that was interesting. And you might too. But what does Paul go into doing right first two? First, we give thanks to God always for you constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Remembering before God the Father your work of faith, your labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we see three things. Work of faith, labor of love, steadfastness and hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And in some ways this was hard for me to preach this because kind of straightforward message. The whole letter is a kind of straightforward message why my simple mind sort of loves it. But what does he do right there, right at the beginning? He commends them for their work of faith. And, you know... He was saying what we see in the Thessalonians, that they had demonstrated an unusual degree of faith. And he was commending them for this this faith, for this work of faith, and how it was demonstrated. And that's why I think it is so helpful to be doing the background. What was this unusual degree of faith? They received the gospel. They received the gospel under great affliction. At great cost to them. There were many who were scared and, 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 and beaten and you know, persecuted to the point of death. We know this. And this is how they uh, received the gospel and demonstrated the work of faith. And it was an unusual degree of faith. And Paul says he's thankful for it. An unusual degree of faith. And what did that look like in verse 9 of 1 Thessalonians 1? We read that he says how they turned from idols to serve a living and true God. Excuse me. And to wait for the Son of Heaven who He raised for the dead who delivers us from the wrath to come. An unusual degree of faith. How they turned from idols from God turned to God from idols. 
excuse me. <coughs> Dylan, where'd my um, water go? Don't worry about it. All right. <laughs> We're a small family. We're allowed to talk to this congregation. Good. You all still with me? All right. So, where an unusual degree of faith is the point. Paul describes it the, how they endured the persecution from their countrymen later in 3. That's right. If you go, when we keep reading in First Thessalonians, and I would encourage you all to do that this week. I think we've only got one more sermon on Thessalonians, I think. But um, Paul talks about later how they suffered the type of persecution from their countrymen as did the churches in Judea and Jesus himself was, cru- was killed. This same type of, of, of persecution the Thessalonians faced. Okay, so this is intense, severe persecution. And Paul wants to encourage them in that. And he hears how they're standing firm. He wasn't sure how it was working. Work it out for them. And he gets this news from Paul, Timothy. And he says, man, I'm so thankful for you. For your work of faith. Next it says, for your labor of... <laughs> Thank you. I was so shocked by you, man. Who is that? Got some water. How are we doing on time? So, he goes on, the work of faith, and then um, he goes on, the work of faith and their labor of love. He says, I'm so thankful for you, constantly thanking you, praying for you, for your work of faith, for your labor of love. And that work of faith and labor, work and labor, well, the working out of your faith and what you're doing, and then the toil, the work that you're doing there. Everything that's in the midst of everything that you're doing, you are toiling. And I just, for me, it is very, uh, it's a great passage to me, it's just that labor. Ah, let's get to work, you know, kind of, man, let's do this. Let's go, let's go get to work. And he says, he, and he uses this word labor like a toiling, like you're, you're sweating and working for the Lord. You guys get that? I hope so. He says, uh, Thessalonians, you remember, brothers, how I labored. Paul says, for you remember, brothers, our labor and toil, how we work day and night, how we work day and night, that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim the gospel. He was working and toiling and laboring together. And he says, I'm so thankful for you that you look, that you're sort of living out that example in 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 and 10, now concerning brotherly love, Paul says, you have no need um, for anyone to write to you. You guys, you guys are doing this. You're loving each other. You're caring for one another. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, do it more and more. And Paul says, I'm so thankful for your work of faith, for your labor of love. Christian, we are laboring together here in the local body, together. It is a labor of love, and it is work, and it's sweat, and it's awesome. And I don't use that word lightly. What a great privilege we have, that we have been saved by the gospel, we have heard the gospel, we have faith, and we get to work for Christ together. And it is it, it, interesting to be in this point in time, it is God's providence, to be at this point in time for the life of the church and to be going through Thessalonians. Because when Wade and I were talking, I'm like, well, I did a men's thing. I, I think I could do Thessalonians. It's kind of quick timing, but you know, I, I, 
wasn't mindful of it as much about the intense persecution on all of these. And it's all of what we're going through, all of the struggles and the trials, the difficulties, not only just in finding a church pastor or, or budgets and all of that stuff and needing this, and needing, but just also in our own lives. And it's what is going on and the realities of the difficulties and the struggles that we all face. And, and you know, I'm tempted to get a little bit emotional and emotive, and I'm not going to do it, but brothers, we all know what we're going through in various situations and the difficulties and the struggles. And it is a great encouragement from Paul to say, oh, I remember you and I'm thanking God for you all the time, of your work in faith and your, your work of faith, your labor of love and your steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Calvin writes this about this group of people and I just love this message. We know from our experience how burdensome love can be. But in that age in particular, it gave the believers many opportunities of laboring. The church was burdened fearfully by many, by many afflictions. The church was burdened fearfully by many afflictions. Many were stripped of their wealth. wealth. Many were exiled from their homes. Many left not knowing what to do. Many were weak and defenseless. Almost all of them were in a state of confusion. So much distress did not permit the Thessalonians' love to remain inactive. It was an active love. And it is a great example to me, and I hope to you, of this active love that we get to pursue for His glory. Steadfastness or endurance, patience of a hope of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be thankful for their hope that they have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the important part. These were people that received the gospel, understood the gospel message, were working it out, and understood that we have, a, have um, an eternal security. The Lord is going to come back. And these people knew it. The hope of their salvation. Romans 5, 3-5, Not only so, but we also glory in our because we know that the suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope. And this hope does not disappoint us or put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We have a great hope. We get to work out our faith. We get to labor in love. And we have a wonderful hope. And so I hope this, me hope this message was encouraging to you as we draw to a close. I think I would, next week we're going to be talking about now with this hope, you know, because of the, of the gospel and the affliction that they received the gospel and it, the, the, the word of God sounded forth and a great work happened, was happening there in that region. And this gospel message is what Paul was preaching time and time, just like Jesus was going in and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you know that gospel message? Have you been reminded of it, of it? I was thinking maybe we could do on Wednesday night, maybe some of you come with your best definition of the gospel. Come Wednesday night prepared and ready to say, what is the gospel? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever should perish from Him, that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. 
What an amazing reality of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but he made us alive in Christ. Because of his work on the cross, we get to labor together. We get to work together. Let's close this morning in prayer. Dear Lord, may these words have been somewhat encouraging to my brothers and sisters in Christ as they were me. We thank you for the truths in your word, the promises, who we are in you. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Do a work in us, Lord. May we, um, as Christ did, and as Paul did in the Thessalonians, Christ, our great example of this great love that he had for us. Thinking about the blind beggar, and, and just, oh, we could go on and on. Lord, we're so thankful for your son, Jesus Christ. What a great example to us, just as the Thessalonians were, as we come to communion this morning. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for this message in Jesus' name. Amen.